Good, good, good to see you this morning. You look good. You almost look as good as you did on Easter, right? It must have carried on. It had kind of a residual effect, kind of upped your game a little bit. So I'm glad you're here today. I want to welcome both of our campuses, Noonan and LaGrange. Can we celebrate that we are live? Today, between both campuses, I also want to welcome those of you who are watching us online today. We are live now every Sunday morning, 9.30 and 11. I had people from all over the country that were friends of mine who connected with me that said, dude, I had no idea you were even saved, Sean. And uh, they watched me online. Some of my old high school friends are watching me today. If you're watching me from Oklahoma City, I want to say welcome. Jesus saved me when I was 17 and I'm still here. That's all I got to say. And uh, I'm glad, yeah, that's right, I'm glad you're here today. We're launching a new series called What to Do When You Don't Know What to Do. So we're going to practice the title real quick. Say it with me. What to do when you don't know what to do. Okay, so I don't know about you, but I myself hear this a lot from people. This is the one comment I hear from people all the time. I feel so overwhelmed. I feel so stressed out about this. I am anxious about that. Like, I don't know how I'm going to take care of this. I don't know how my relationship is ever... I hear these statements from people all the time, and I feel this sense of desperation in people's hearts all the time. I sense many times people come to me and they say, Pastor, if you could just fix it, right? Like I remember when I was a student pastor, sometimes parents would come to me and say, my 16-year-old has turned into a monster. Could you fix them? And I would be like, no, I can't, but Jesus can, okay? And, uh, and so today, for the next four weeks, we're going to be journeying through this brand new series called What to Do when you don't know what to do. Now, the truth is, life is full of moments when you don't know what to do. I mean, let's be real honest. I mean, I know in my life, when I don't know where to go, I pull up what? The Waze app. I type it in where I'm going. It tells me where you're coming from. And if I know where I'm coming from, it tells me where I should go. It tells me when I'm going to get there, right? Barring a collapse of a interstate in Atlanta. (laughs) It tells me lots of things. When I don't know who to come fix my AC unit at my house, what do I do? I go to Google. I look up people who fix HVAC in South Atlanta and I start calling people. And then I go to Yelp and I say, what did other people say about them? And then I go to Angie's List and I want to find out how many stars they got, right? So when I don't know what to do with my AC, I somehow find a way to know what to do. Now, the other thing that's really big in our life is when we don't know even the question to ask, right? So what do we do? We go to Google. And we say, hey, Google, I think the question is this. And we start asking the question. And if you're like me, the strangest things come up on Google when you start asking the question. Like, no, that's not the question I'm trying to ask. And you start fixing it. And then suddenly Google gives you all these things. And you're hoping that Google can tell you what to do when you really don't know what to do. And then when you go, man, I don't even know what's going on. So what do you do? You go to Facebook. (laughs) And you get on Facebook and you're like, what, what am I supposed to feel today? And you spend 10 minutes on Facebook and you go, I think I'm going to go commit suicide today. Because you read everything and you're like, gosh, they don't know what to do either when they don't know what to do. Right? People are freaking out. So this question is big in our life. But here's what I know. When it comes to the question, we have one of two responses. We either engage the question and find the right answer, or we try to escape 
the question. Now, I don't know about you. I'm going to tell some very revealing things about myself today. But um, I sometimes escape. I want to tell you some of the ways I escape. When I get really stressed out, sometimes I just need to pull out my son's Xbox and play some Tiger Woods. You know what I'm talking about? I don't know what it is about playing fake golf, but it makes me feel better about myself, right? I think it's because they let you have mulligans. And so there's different things you do to escape. Some of you, when you have to answer the hard question, what to do when you don't know what to do, you go find a series on Netflix and you binge for a weekend. Can I get an amen? Some of you know what I'm talking about. Don't act like you don't. Okay, I went through this really weird season, and I'm just going to be honest with you. This is kind of a vulnerable moment for me. I went through this season, not here. It was at another church that I was serving at, by the way. And I was like going through these difficult times, and I was like, man, I don't know how to navigate all this difficult stuff. And I went home on a Sunday afternoon, and the Godfather trilogy was on. And I ended up sitting down watching the Godfather trilogy, and Tracy said, does that make you feel better? And I said, in a weird sort of way, yeah, I don't know why. Because I don't even know what to do when I don't know what to do. We ask that question a lot. See, here's what I know. We either escape the question or we engage the question. And which one of those decisions we make is very important. I had a really uh, good friend about 10 years ago. He was leading a ministry that was traveling all over America. He was speaking, doing camps. He was helping in public schools, doing lots of things, but was really, really stressed out. The thing that he was doing in ministry was a multi-million dollar endeavor. Millions of dollars was given to this thing. He was stressed. He was struggling. He couldn't figure out what was going on in his life. He got on an airplane, got moved up to first class. Somebody served him a drink. He began to drink, and for the first time in probably six to eight months, he lost his fear of what was going on because of the alcohol. He said, Sean, that first time that I sat on that airplane and I chose to escape was what led me down a path of becoming an alcoholic. He ended up leaving ministry full-time, became an alcoholic. God set him free. His story ended well because God set him free from alcoholism. And I want to tell you this today, the decisions we make when we don't know what to do define us. In fact, they can cause us to sometimes forget who we are, become addicted to something, even make life-altering decisions. Or sometimes we'll go search someone else out to say, what do I need to do? And counsel's great, but let's be honest. You can go to the best counselor in the world. And sometimes you still lay your head on your pillow at night and say, I don't know what to do. I just don't know what to do. What do you do when you don't know what to do? See, here's the thing I know about God. When it's dark, we often lose sight of our destiny. When it's dark, when you don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. I don't know where to go. And we tend to focus on our problems and then we leave God out of the picture. Because what we say is, I know God's up there and God does care for me, right? Last week he came out of the grave. He came off of a a cross and he lives. And I know because he lives, all these things are true. But yet we never connect the dots between putting our eyes on what's dark in our life and causing it to lose our focus on our destiny, and putting our eyes on what God says about our lives. 
See, here, here's the good side about the question that we've got to ask, what to do when you don't know what to do. Whether you realize this or not, do you realize the question actually leads us to the answer? Let me say it this way. Disequilibrium is what leads us to discovery. If you're an education major in here, you know that's the whole reason they assign problems. We want you to learn to walk into this place where you don't know the answer and be able to solve the answer. And disequilibrium is the beginning of discovery. So God doesn't want us to escape the question. Sometimes the uncertainty of heart and mind is actually what we need to get us to the place to where it really makes us examine others and most importantly, examine ourselves. So we're going to jump in and talk about what do you do when you don't know what to do. If you have your Bible, I want you to turn to the book of 1 Samuel chapter 30. 1 Samuel chapter 30. It's in the Old Testament. We're going to look at one verse of Scripture today. And from that verse of Scripture, I want to tell you the most important decision that you and I can make that we can do when we don't know what to do. And in fact, I want to tell you that the next four weeks will be defined on what this week talks about. Because when you don't know what to do, God's Word tells us what to do. 1 Samuel chapter 30, verse 6. Listen to what the Bible says. And David was greatly distressed. For the people spoke of stoning him, because all the people were bitter in soul, in each for his sons and daughters. But David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. What you think about David's life real quick, David's story. Sometimes we only see David as king. We don't understand the journey that he went through in his life. But there was this person in David's life before David was ever a king. In fact, even before he was a shepherd, his name was King Saul. King Saul was the first king that the people of Israel had. They wanted Saul because he was tall. Hey, we need a king, God. We, we, We know we have you, God, but we need a king. God says, you don't need a king. You've got me. You don't have to be like all the other nations. You have Jehovah as your God. Why do you need an earthly king? God gave him a king. His name was Saul, but Saul didn't follow God's ways. And Saul got to the point where God literally said, Saul, I can't use you anymore. I'm going to have to replace you. And so in this moment, he speaks to the prophet Samuel and says, I want you to go anoint this other guy. I want you to go anoint this other person to become king over my people. I want you to go out to a pasture and find a shepherd boy. And he did. In fact, the Bible tells us he went to the pasture and he overlooked all these other brothers that were in Jesse's house until finally he said, don't you have another kid? And Jesse said, yeah, I got one out there tending a bunch of nasty sheep. He said, go get him. And he went out and he got him and he brought him in and Saul anointed him to become king of Israel, which makes me just want to note a couple things to you today because in this process of not knowing what to do when you don't know what to do, you need to remember this. Sometimes God uses a pasture to prepare us for a palace. You get what I'm saying? I mean, sometimes God uses a pasture to prepare us for a palace. 
David's out here tending sheep. David's out here doing just what David was doing. And yet God was saying, I'm preparing this young boy because one day he's gonna be a king and a person after my own heart. And I wanna say this to you today. I hope this encourages you. I don't know what pasture you're in, but I know that God often uses pastures to prepare us for a palace. Listen, don't despise the pasture you're in. Grow in it. Grow in it. Sometimes God uses that pasture because he's really preparing us for a palace. So David's out here. Bible says that he would stand in the, the, the places there where he would be a shepherd and he would listen to God speak to him and he would write songs to God and he would sing to God. And, and I imagine that David, even though he was tending sheep, there must have been this amazing connection between him and God, which tells me another thing. It's God's presence that prepares us for the promotion. It's God's presence that prepares us for promotion in our life. He's out there learning how to hear God. And so you would say, wow, that's awesome. He brought him in. He anointed him as king. David's going to be king. End of the story, right? In the words of Lee Corso, not so fast. Not so fast. Because that's not all of David's story. You see, Saul is still king. David's been anointed to be king, but Saul suddenly becomes tormented by an evil spirit because God's spirit had left him. And he's so tormented that he looks at his followers and says, hey, I'm so tormented. I need someone who can come into my palace and play for me because I can't get over my bad feelings. So he brings David into the palace. Why? Some people knew that David was a phenomenal liar player. So they bring him in and David starts playing music. And the Bible says every time David would play music, Saul would be soothed. It would calm him down. And in this moment, David, because <laughs> he's in the palace playing music, all of a sudden one day his brothers go out and the people go out from the palace to fight the Philistines. And he says, hey, I'm just here in the palace. And they said, hey, we need you to take some lunch to your brothers. So David walks out into the battlefield, which he had probably never spent much time with his brothers in the battlefield at that point, but he walks out there and all of a sudden, as he's bringing some brown bags to his brothers, he hears this giant defaming the name of his God. And he looks over at his brothers and he's like, hey, are you going to let that happen? I mean, I, if I was David, that's probably the moment I'd say, oh, no, he didn't. <laughs> David, if you know 1 Samuel 17, he basically says, no, 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 you come against me with sword and spear, but I'm about to come against you in the name of the Lord my God. And he puts down the brown bag. He picks up a sling and he kills a giant. He goes from being a worship leader in a palace to a crazy guy to being a giant killer. What a story, right? You would think after that moment, like everyone would be like, yeah, that's David. He's our king. Well, the Bible tells us he went on because he became really good friends with the king's son named Jonathan. They became really good friends. And Saul even said, hey, I got to keep this guy near me because he's getting powerful. And so he actually gave him a rank in the army. He said, you're no longer just going to be my worship leader. I'm going to make you like really high in my army. And then suddenly at that moment, David becomes hot. What do I mean when I say hot? 
You know how you're hot? Let me tell you how you know if you're hot or if you're not, okay? You're hot if people write music about you. If you want to know if you've made it, someone writes a song about you. Listen, men, if you want your wife to know that she is the most special person in the world, write a song about her. That'll warm it up a little bit. (laughs) Sorry, just had to go there. So Saul's hot. Excuse me, David's hot. People People are writing songs about him. In fact, they hear him out in the street and listen to the song they're singing. Saul has slain his thousands and David his ten thousands. David slaying ten thousands of people. Now, what do you think Saul thought when he heard that? Uh oh. Crazy guy moment. Saul's afraid of David. He even gives David, even gives his daughter to David in marriage. Why? Probably to keep him on a leash. But Saul's heart continues to darken. And he continues to want to say to David, David, I'm gonna get you. In fact, the Bible says he even threw spears at him. Throw spears at your own son in law. (laughs) So, what does David do? He goes and he hides in caves. And while he's in those caves, he befriends a group of men who are known as rejects that end up becoming his mighty men. 1 Samuel 22 says they were people who were discounted and disjointed. And David said, hey, why don't you guys like come around me because God's gonna do something in all this. And he moves to the land of the Philistines, which I find is funny. He literally moves over to the people who had rejected him. And they said, hey, we've heard you're a pretty good warrior. Why don't you just kind of like govern this city for us? So David goes out there, he begins to govern the city. All of a sudden, the Philistines decide to go fight Israel. They realize, David, we can't take you into battle with us because if we do, you will turn on us. So you just go back to your city. But when David goes back to his city, the Amalekites had already moved in and they had burned the city down and they had taken all the women and children. And then suddenly, all of the people want to stone him. Rejected by Saul, by his own people Israel, the Philistines. Listen, you know you're having a bad day when your enemy rejects you. You know you're having a bad day when everyone around you wants to stone you. And then suddenly it's 10 to 13 years after after Samuel had anointed him as king. And here he is in this very dark place. Let me ask you a question. Do you think David doubted his destiny while he was in the darkness? Oh, yeah. You think David ever asked the question that we're asking today, what do you do when you don't know what to do? But I want to tell you what God was doing. God used the darkest moment of David's life to become the back door to the throne room of God. In fact, let me say it this way. God gave David the power to master his problem, and it was big, to look past the offense of being rejected by others, and I imagine that's big, and rally others to a greater purpose in their life. Why? Because he answered a question that if you and I answer, we will always know what to do when we don't know what to do. So what did David do that you and I can do when we don't know what to do? Here it is. Ready? Write it down. Strengthen yourself in the Lord. Strengthen yourself in the Lord. 
The Bible says in 1 Samuel 36, but David strengthened himself in the Lord. You see, one thing I know about God is this. God loves to give us his strength. Look all throughout the Bible. There's passage after passage after passage that God says, I want you to have my strength. I want my people to have my strength. So it's not as if God doesn't want to supply it, but many times we don't understand what that means when we say, strengthen yourself in the Lord. That's the what. What do I do when I don't know what to do? I strengthen myself in the Lord. So how do you do it? How do you do it? It's going to sound uber simple when I explain it. It's going to be so profound. Here's how you do it. You got to learn to re, everyone say re, Re. resource the source. Say it with me. Resource the source. Look at your neighbor real quick and say, I got to resource the source. Go back. Resource the source. That's what we got to do. See, everyone in this room has a source. Everyone in this place has a source. You have somewhere you go, something you do, someone you go to that you are trying to get your source of strength from. And by the way, this is how many times in marriages and relationships things get messed up. Because we look to our spouse sometimes and we say, you are my source. And they're a horrible source. In fact, let me say this. You're going to drain them dry. And when you drain them dry, you're going to think you're going to need another one of them because somehow i got to have someone else who has a deeper source. And we go to each other and say, I need someone who has a deeper source, and I need this, and I need that. And, and I don't know, I was thinking about this the other day while I was running, because I have weird thoughts while I run. To say to someone, hey, you are my source, is like saying to them, I, not I love you, but basically, I leech you. <laughs> And let me say this, okay? I just got to say it because my mind thinks this way. In relationships, this is so big because if you go to someone else for your source and you leech them instead of love them, you're inviting them into a relationship that is totally parasitic. You know what a parasite needs to live? It needs a host. God didn't call you to be someone's source. God says, I am your source. You need to resource the right source. Everyone has a source. So let me tell you what I know about sources. I was thinking about that this week. Any source that is not renewable is limited. I'm not a science major, but I remember learning that in earth science in ninth grade. Any source that is not renewable is limited. The Bible says in Isaiah 40, 31, those who wait upon the Lord will renew their strength. God's strength is always renewable. Always. 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 It never runs out. It never runs dry. It never gets to a place where it starts to, like, I don't know, we may not have much left. I'm pretty sure when God spoke and the mountains were formed, he's like, yeah, that's just day one. (laughs) I was praying this morning and the Lord said, Sean, do you realize I'm the same God that I spoke to the water and told it where to stop and where to go? 
God's strength is completely renewable. The other thing I know about sources is this. The force of the source is what determines the strength. If you have a weak source with a weak force, you ain't going to have much strength. I got this problem at my house. I've got a water system. I don't know what's going on. Maybe you're a plumber. Maybe you figure it out. But I turn on my water, and I want like, whoo, Niagara Falls. And I got like, whoo. I got a weak force from my source. Here's what I know about sources. The force of the source determines the strength. So I want to give you just one, mm, this is so good. I want to give you just one picture of the source of who God is. Psalms 145.3 says this. Great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. His greatness no one can fathom. That's why I love kids so much. They try to figure out how big God is. Listen, as adults, we need to get back to the way children are. How big you think God is? God could blow this whole place up here. As adults, somehow we think we got to figure it out. We need faith like a child again, amen? Because the Bible says, great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. His greatness no one can fathom. The force of the source is what determines the strength. And God's strength is not only renewable, it's forceful. There's no weak stream there with God. It's all there with God. Think about it, man's strength. I know, because back in the day, I could bench press. There's some guys in the room that go, yeah, when I was in high school, I benched 450. Yeah, that doesn't hold a candle to God. You bring the strongest human in this planet and set them on this stage, and God could literally just lift his finger and destroy that person. Why? <laughs> because man's strength is limited, but God's strength is unlimited. So let me say this. When you go to someone else for your source other than God first, you know what's happening? You're choosing a limited source with a limited force. But when you go to God, you get all the unlimited part of who God is because the strength is determined by the force of the source. Oh, think about it. If David would have looked to himself for strength, he would have never become the king that he was. What if he'd have said, God, I could be king if Saul were different. God, I could have been king if I would have come from a better family because we were nothing but a bunch of redneck sheep herders. He didn't. The Bible says he strengthened himself in the Lord his God. And here's what I know. Every time God speaks in his word, it's true no matter what season it's in. God wanted us to see that about David because he wants us to understand that about our own life. You see, David reigned. He didn't just rule. He reigned. He reigned over the problems in his life. Why? Because God was reigning in him. Revelations 5.10, I love what it says because it talks about what you and I can experience through God's strength. It says, and you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God and they shall reign on the earth. You know what that means? You and I have dominion. Look at your neighbor real quick and say, 
I got dominion. Okay, some of you go, the minions? I saw that movie. No, I'm not talking about the minions. You have dominion. What does that mean? The word dominion means you have sovereignty or control over the things that happen to you in this life. And I love it. God says, I call you a king and a priest. Listen, that'll help you put your chest out on Monday morning. You're our technician. No, I'm not. I'm a king and a priest. What would happen if you started operating in the fullness of the position that God says you have? You know what would happen? Your problems would seem a whole lot smaller. In fact, let me say it this way. God calls us kings and priests, but the degree that we walk in that position is what will determine our potential. God has potential for us. What good is the position if you don't understand or walk in its potential? I don't know about you, man. I'm going to walk in the potential of God for my life. I'm certainly not going to walk in the potential of my problems. David strengthened himself in the Lord. David went back to the source. He went back to who God is and who God said he was, his identity. God had already anointed him as a king. How dare he go back and live as a shepherd? He strengthened himself in the source so he could learn how to apply the force of all of God's strength in his life. The cool thing about this is this. God calls us to take the initiative. Why? Because apart from learning how to strengthen ourselves in the Lord, we will always be vulnerable to attacks and living a life close to burnout. Remember what I said? I hear people say all the time, I'm overwhelmed struggling. It's difficult. They didn't get my drink right at Starbucks this week. It's so hard. I'm wearing the weight of traffic in Atlanta. I'm just teasing. I feel it too. Listen, every time I get out on the road, I'm like, Jesus, come now. Even so, come Lord Jesus. (laughs) I start quoting Revelations. (laughs) Oh my, it's amazing to me. God doesn't want us to live vulnerable to attack and burnout. We've got to resource the source. Think about it. You say, well, I have a decision and I don't know what to do in this decision. I don't know where to go. Now, here's what I know about direction in our life. Every direction in our life begins from a point of origin. So let me say it this way. The point of origin is what determines your direction. If God is your source, if he's your point of origin, then you and I already know which way to go. It doesn't matter what Facebook says. It doesn't matter what Fox News says. (laughs) If God is the point of origin of my life, it already determines my direction because I can strengthen myself in the Lord. See, here's what I love about this. When I do this, something amazing happens. I grow in God's favor. Grow in God's favor. Now listen, God's favor is different from God's love. Some of you say, oh, God has a favor root. No, 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 that's how man thinks. See, God's favor is different from God's love. You can't do anything to ever change God's love towards you. 
but you can increase in your ability to walk in God's favor. How do you know that? Luke 2, 52. The Bible says Jesus grew in favor with God and man. Whoa, wait a minute. Jesus grew in favor? He sure did. Jesus himself grew in favor. What does that mean? God's love for you never changes. But the ability to answer the question of what happens when I do what God wants me to do, I strengthen myself in him because his power is unlimited. Suddenly I begin to walk in God's favor. And it's different. It's not his love. It's his favor. It's like his gaze over my life. I mean, Jesus was a perfect example. The Bible tells us in Luke 4, 1, and Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan. He was just baptized and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. Now think about that. Jesus was full of the Holy Spirit, but God led him into the where? Into the easy street? Into the A crowd? No, he led him into the wilderness. Why? So that when Jesus came out, we would read this scripture, Luke 4, 14. And Jesus returned, look what it says, out of the wilderness, he returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee. And a report about him went through all the surrounding counties. He went in full of the Holy Spirit, but he came out in the power of the Holy Spirit. You know why? Because God gave him his favor. When you and I begin to trust the source and resource the source, we suddenly begin to experience God's favor in our life. I mean, think about it. God allowed Jesus to go through affliction so Jesus could grow in his favor. See, God didn't change David's circumstances. God didn't even change Jesus' circumstances. He had to go into the wilderness. But here's what I know. God wants us to go through something to grow in something. He wants us to go through something to grow in something. And the key goes back to resourcing the source. Now, I don't know, I don't know if you remember this. I, I, I grew up in the stage. Y'all remember Mad Libs? Yeah, man. The ultimate way to keep your kids quiet on a trip. <laughs> Some of you kids go, what's that? Is there an app for that? This is old school right here. Like if you're under 40 and you're, before you had a tablet, your parents could afford a tablet, they went out and got some Mad Libs. And they put you in the car, and I want to say this, this was a trick. Some English teacher said, I got to find a way to teach kids what pronouns and nouns and verbs is. So I'm going to create a game that you play in the car, and the way it works is, you have like, a, 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 this is how to decorate Easter eggs. And, and then it has a sentence and somewhere it says, here you need to add an adjective. And here you need to add a plural noun. And here you need to add an adjective, okay? And so what you put in the blank determines the story. It's genius. Way to teach kids about letters and words and grammar. And I wish I'd have spent a lot more time playing Mad Libs growing up. Let me say this. When you have a mad lib, what you put in the noun can determine the whole story. See, let me throw it up to you this way. Strengthen blank in the blank. Just look at it. You can put the pronoun first. Strengthen sister. Strengthen them. Strengthen yourself, strengthen myself, 
But what hangs on this whole Mad Lib being a powerful story is what you put in the noun. The word Lord there is Elohim. It's one of the strongest forms of the name of God in Hebrew. It's one of the most powerful names of the name of God. If you start with the noun and you get the noun right, then the force of the source can make all the difference. But then, if you take the pronoun and you make it personal, you and I have the first way to answer the question, what do I do when I don't know what to do? Struggling. Feel empty. My marriage is on the rocks. I don't know how to parent my child. I don't know how to do this. And what we want to do is we want to fix it, right? What God's saying is this. No, the first thing you do when you don't know what to do is you resource the source and you get the noun right and you get the pronoun right. Strengthen yourself in the Lord. Let's pray together.